All right. I want you to notice what it says in verse 38 of Matthew 10. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And the title of my sermon today is Take Up Your Cross. And I want to challenge uh, everyone today here who is saved to take up your cross. I believe that's something God wants from all of us. He wants you to take up your cross. But what exactly does that mean? And what exactly did Jesus mean when he made that statement? Because when we think of taking up a cross, typically we think about Jesus carrying his cross up Calvary. And obviously that's important, but understand too, when Jesus made the statement, that hadn't happened yet. So, you know, what is everybody, what are his disciples thinking exactly when he makes this statement? And I think it's important that we fully understand what he's saying right here, because what we're looking at here too is the Jesus commissioning his disciples. He is giving his disciples a work to do. And people will often must um, make salvation and discipleship one and the same thing. And that's a mistake. There is a difference between being a disciple and just being saved. And I believe salvation is a free gift, one that you can never lose. And uh, But discipleship, folks, that's work. Salvation or discipleship, there, there can potentially be great cost to being a follower of Christ now, I'm going to show you, I believe it's worth it. I, I, I'm, I would never get up and ask anyone to get involved in something that I thought they would regret. I wouldn't want to do that. I would hate to be to have a job where I felt like I was selling stuff that was cheating people. You know, selling people a bad product, getting them involved in bad investments or anything like that. I, wouldn't want to, I would never knowingly do that. I wouldn't want to even accidentally do something like that. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, when it comes to being a disciple of Christ, I'm not, I'm not calling on you to do something that's going to be easy. I'm not calling on you, and Jesus was not calling on his disciples to do something that was going to be easy. In fact, we're not going to go through the whole chapter again, but he puts some pretty severe warnings in there. He talks about some pretty bad things that his disciples are going to have to go through. And guess what? They went through all these things. But he, he challenged them to take up their cross and to follow him. And if you're saved today, I'm telling you, I believe you need to do the same thing. I think we should all be willing to take up our cross and follow Christ. But let's look at some context before we talk about this and kind of get into some of the specifics of it. But first off, we're not going to read it all again, but verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10 is Jesus calling and uh, naming his 12 disciples. Jesus has just named his 12 disciples. He's called on them to follow him because they have a job to do. There's work that needs to be done. And in verse uh, 5 through 15, Jesus gives them some specific instructions. He tells them to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wants them preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand and it was important that Israel get this message. Jesus Christ is come. He is on earth. And Israel needs to receive their king. And so he uses his disciples to get that message out. In verses 16 through 25, Jesus just tells them, you're going to face danger and persecution. It's, it, it's very likely going to get ugly. You know, preaching the kingdom sounds like a good thing. Being the disciple of the king, that sounds like a good thing. But I'm telling, he's telling them, I'm just letting you know, 
It won't be easy. I'm letting you know you're going to suffer. People are going to hate you. You're probably going to be thrown in prison. You're probably going to die. That's what he was calling on them to do. You know, a lot of people, boy, they think going into the ministry is just going to be this all, all excitement, all fun. All, no, folks, it can be challenging. It can be a very difficult thing sometimes. And, and, and understand when I'm talking about the difficulties we go through, I'm talking about American difficulties. It, you know, now, if we want to start talking about what people are dealing with in other countries, then we just sound pathetic complaining over here in America. I mean, we just might not, you know, make as much money as some other people. You know, we might just have somebody say something nasty about us on social media. Some countries you might go to prison. Some countries you might get killed. So, you know, I feel bad even talking about this in, in America in 2023. But in verses 26 through 31, Jesus uh, tells them not to be terrified about all the terrifying things he told them about. And look, look what it says in verse 26. It says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness... That speak ye in the light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like a reasonable fear getting your body killed. It seems pretty reasonable to me. But Jesus said, don't fear them. But are not, because they're not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore ye are more value than many sparrows. So notice, when Jesus gives them this comfort here, we often look to this passage and like, Jesus, he knows when a sparrow falls. And doesn't that give us a good, warm, fuzzy, peaceful feeling? You know, I mean, he, the very hairs of our head are numbered. I mean, that gives you a good, peaceful feeling, doesn't it? But do you all understand that he said that in the context of, don't be afraid when people are going to try to kill you. You know, you know when he's letting them know, like, hey, if somebody tries to kill you, they can't kill you without me knowing about it. But he's not telling them, I'll make sure they don't succeed. He doesn't tell them that. You know what he's telling them? You be willing to die. When Jesus said to take up your cross, he's basically telling people, you be willing to pay the ultimate price. Following me, being a disciple of me, might, it might mean you lose everything. It might mean you lose your own life on this earth. But you know, don't worry about those things. There's better things coming. And he goes on after telling them all these terrible things. In verse 32, and I'm talking about discipleship too. You know, I, I'm very thankful, I, excited about Chance getting baptized. You know, and be praying for him. You know, whenever people get baptized, you know what they usually hap happens after that? Temptation. That's what happened to Jesus. What happened is immediately after he got baptized, he's tempted to the devil. You know why? Because the devil... He hates it when, he, when somebody gets saved and he loses their soul. There's nothing he can do about that. But you know what? When somebody gets saved and they start following Christ, they could potentially start reaching other people. And let me tell you, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a dangerous thing for the devil. A saved person not being a disciple is really no great threat to the devil, but a disciple is a great threat. And you better believe he'll bring temptation and, he, and the devil can make us ineffective as a disciple. He cannot take away our salvation, but he can take away our effectiveness. He can get us away from being a disciple of Christ. And you know what? Don't let him do that. But he will, there will be temptations. And we need to pray for, we, that's why we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ 
So the, de the devil will not succeed in tempting them. But verse 32 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And I think it's very important we understand the doctrinal significance of what, we, what was just said here. Because we don't want people to just be able to take this phrase and run with it. And people will often do that. But remember, Jesus has just commissioned His disciples to get to go through all of Israel preaching the kingdom. The time of the Messiah had come. Christ, the Christ that had been prophesied, He is here. The, the kingdom is at hand. Israel needs to believe on Jesus as the Messiah. And during this time, remember Israel, they were, they were the people of God even though they weren't all saved. And if they deny Christ, he's wanting the disciples to go to preach salvation to them. So understand, we have a message in, that's in this chapter that's for disciples. That is for followers of Christ. Disciples are followers of Christ. They are supposed to go and preach salvation to the lost. So understand, we have in this message, the message that the disciples are supposed to preach to everyone else. And let me tell you, if people will be ashamed of Christ, if the Jews will be ashamed of Christ, if they will not confess Him, then you know what? If they deny Him, they will be denied before the Father. They will be rejected as a people if they deny Jesus as the Messiah. And folks, did Israel as a people accept Jesus as the Messiah? No, they did not. And so you know what? They are denied before the Father. This is not something that we should just take and tell a saved person that if you deny Christ, then you're going to lose your salvation. That's not what's doing because understand, we got salvation by confessing Christ, didn't we? Now, if a lost person will not confess Christ, if a lost person will not acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as the Savior, they will not get saved, will they? But this isn't teaching in any way, shape, or form that a saved person can lose their salvation. But... Again, if Israel denies Christ, then they will not go to heaven. And so will the rest of the world. If they will not accept Christ, they will not go to heaven. So it's important we understand that. And so if, if we deny Christ and are ashamed of Him, or if they do that, then they will be denied by Jesus before the Father. But if they will confess Him, then Jesus will confess them before the Father. They needed an acceptable high priest to make intercession to God for them as a people. The Levitical priests were not enough. And they needed Jesus to do that. And because they didn't accept Him, Jesus did not uh, confess them before the Father. And so, this does not apply to those of us who became the people of God when we confess Christ. No saved person, or every saved person has confessed Christ. So this is not proof you can lose your salvation. Now, uh, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to see something similar here in chapter 2 and verse 8. We're going to look at some conditional statements that Paul is making. He says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, whether I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. And this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. A disciple like Paul is going to suffer adversity. Paul was suffering adversity, just like Jesus said. In verse, but the word of God was not bound. Verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was willing to suffer 
as a disciple if it meant people getting saved. That's the mission. And so his next statement is just speaking of universal truths for mankind, you could say. He's not just talking about saved people. And so he says, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. That's the same thing he said in Romans 6, 5, when he says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we've done that when we got saved. Verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Okay? In other words, our works will be rewarded as a disciple of Christ. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That's mankind in general. If they deny Christ, if they will not accept him, they will be denied before the Father. If we believe not, and a lot of people just take this meaning of, this is if a saved person quits believing. No, that's not what this is saying at all. This is making a very general statement here. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. What it's saying is if we don't get the results that we want, you know, when we go and try to give the gospel to people, often when we go and we give the gospel to people, people don't believe. But you know what? It doesn't make the word of God of none effect. If, if we believe not, if they believe not, he abide, by the faithful, he cannot deny himself. Guess what? The gospel's still true. If people don't believe that he's coming back, he cannot deny himself. He's still coming back. If people don't, if they say opposite, if we go out today and we try to give somebody the gospel and they reject it and say, no, I don't believe Jesus will save. I don't believe he can keep you saved. I don't believe that. Well, you know what? He abided faithfully. He cannot deny himself. He is going to save us if we'll believe on him and he will keep us saved. That's all this is saying right here. It's just saying we can trust Christ even if we don't get the results that we want from the world. He's always going to do what He said that He would do. And so back in Matthew 10, in verse 34, He says, Think not I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace on earth, but a sword. Well, you know, what, about, what about Luke 2? No, that's peace between man and God. Okay, It's not about world peace. It's not about peace between all men okay that's about peace between man and god a lot of people are looking for world peace and they're willing to throw out the things of god to get it but folks the peace that we need is peace between us and god and we can't have that because jesus christ came and died for our sins and so so this isn't a contradiction here he said for i am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household and especially back then, it would be a big problem for someone to confess Christ and be a follower in Christ when you live in a nation that's rejecting Christ as a whole. And he says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And no matter what you do with this passage, this statement could not be more true. None of us are worthy to be saved. In fact, we're not even worthy to be a disciple of Christ based on our works. But that doesn't mean we can't be made worthy through Christ. And folks, any worthiness we have, we got it through Christ. He made us worthy. Why? Because He cleansed us from our sin. And so our worthiness that we have, it's not about our works, but it is because we have put our faith in Christ, we've confessed Christ, and He's cleansed us. And so when Jesus makes the statement, take it not his cross and follow it after me, He isn't making a call for salvation, but for discipleship. Jesus is talking to the twelve in this chapter. 
He's commissioned them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And while there are statements about salvation, just understand they are spoken in the context of Jesus giving his disciples instructions on what they were to do. And sadly, many people today, they've made salvation and discipleship the same thing, and it's just not true. Now, I do believe everyone who is saved has a calling on their life to be a disciple, but not everyone who is saved will be a disciple. And it's sad. And it's important that we understand, while there are things about salvation in this passage, the focus of it is a called discipleship to build the kingdom of God. Remember, because the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And we, we have a major shortage of disciples today. And if all saved people, just think about this, if all the saved people just quit being disciples, did you know Christianity would cease to exist? It would, if, if we just all quit following Christ, just did our own thing, we keep our salvation, but how's anybody else going to get saved? We, ha- they, we have to have disciples. And so when Jesus said, take up your cross, he's making it clear we need to be ready to follow him wherever he leads and it could potentially lead to death. The cross was a very common method of execution during that time that they were living in. And so I think they understood what he meant when they said that. And so it is appropriate to think of Christ and his cross because it definitely meant his death doing the will of God. And while not all disciples are not guaranteed that they're going to die for their faith, disciples should be willing to deny whatever it is they want for themselves and to be willing to lay it all aside for Christ. That's what a real disciple does. And, And so sadly, most saved people today are not disciples of Christ or they're maybe part time disciples. And I don't think the reasons for that have changed in the last 2000 years. And let's look at, in the Bible, why people often fail to actually be a follower of Christ and a true disciple. Because, folks, we, do, we, we desperately need disciples. You want to know why churches today aren't preaching hard? You want to know why they're just kind of turning into these Chuck E. Cheese Fun Center places? Because people don't want to be disciples. They want to be entertained. You know, and it makes us feel a little better if we're getting Christian entertainment, singing some songs, Use a little bit of Bible. Because I mean, everyone knows you can go get entertained on your television. You can get entertained at a movie theater. You can get entertained anywhere at a circus. But we also know there's nothing spiritual about that. So what, we've, what a lot of people have done, they've basically turned church into entertainment. But we're calling it church. We call it spiritual. And it works good for carnal people. But no, we're, we're supposed to be prepping disciples. Meaning, folks, you better be ready to endure some hard things. It's amazing how easy people expect everything to be. I make fun of Gen Z all the time. We were, talking, we were just talking about it. Gen Z want everything easy. They don't want to work for anything. They don't want any challenges at all. I mean, folks, we live in a generation today where people think you have a right to not ever get sick. You know, I was watching the news and they were talking about this, you know, stomach bug that's going around the whole country. The whole country is getting it. And did you know, even after two years where we like locked down, sheltered in place, wore masks, and everyone figured out you can't run from a virus. Do you know some people are still hiding from this virus? When nobody's locked down, when nobody's wearing masks? Did you not learn anything for the past two years? Listen, I am all for people, if you're sick, you know, missing church and stuff like that. When, when people miss church to avoid getting sick, I got a problem with that. 
Okay, I don't th- no sympathy here. Okay, no no sympathy here, folks. You get around people, you're going to get germs, and we've been told in the Bible to get around people. And you know what? I I'm I'm not running from. I never ran from invisible enemies in 2020, and I'm not going to. I'm I'm not going to do that. It's just I, I've got a life to live. I've got work to do. There's things that have got we've got to get done, and I and I'm telling you, just you know, I'll be nice to you if you want to hide and run from invisible enemies and things like that, but I'm not going to feel sorry for you. You know, you're not going to make me think you're okay. I just like why can't people learn their lessons? But I, I don't I don't get it. But what are some of these reasons people fail to follow? Well, first, the, what uh, Jesus mentioned, we're not going to read it again, but in verses 34 through 39. He talked about family. He talked about family. Now, thankfully, in America, physical persecution is pretty unlikely, but social persecution is still very likely. Now, and, and not if you're going to be a Christian. Because okay? in America, it is socially acceptable to be a Christian or any religion, as long as you're not like a real follower. You know, you can be a Christian as long as you're not like a real Christian. As long as you're not one of those people that believe all the Bible. As long as you're not one of those that, you know, preach some of that stuff in Leviticus that people don't like. And, you know, it, you know, it's okay for you to be a Christian as long as you keep it to yourself. Which basically means don't be a disciple because what does a disciple do? He goes and the things that he heard in secret, he says it on the housetops. That's what, a, that's what a disciple does. A disciple does not keep their Christianity themselves. You can do that. You can be saved and you can keep it to yourself, but you can't be a disciple and not tell other people. That is what we've been called to do. That is what we've been commissioned to do. People always talk about, oh, you got, you know, we have, we have freedom and religion in America, but don't you dare go to this area and try to tell these people about Jesus. Uh, you know, you're, you're free to practice your religion in your building. Uh, no, us practicing our religion is going to the uttermost parts of the earth. You, you want to know what our jurisdiction is that Jesus gave us? It's the entire world. And, you know, you start doing that. I, I had a policeman the other day tell me that we weren't, you know, when I told him we're just following our religion, he said, well, that doesn't sound very evangelical. <laughs> we got, we had an apartment complex manager call the cops on us. And I told him, we don't recognize, I said, that law, first off, it's not even constitutional. Even if it was, I said, you know, I said, the Bible says different. And he, he, that's what he said, that doesn't sound very evangelical. How... How is it more evangelical to just not go to certain people? I, I, I don't understand that. You know, and it was, it was a really stupid, pointless conversation, but I had it with him anyway, and I enjoyed arguing with him. And I, I know my limits, and I knew there was nothing he could do about it, and I, I had some fun with it. But, um, again, it's just, you know, the, but the, again, our world, it's okay. You can be a Christian if you want. You, you know, guys, you can be a girl if you want in our country. But, folks, you can't be a disciple, a real Christian, without getting some persecution. And, it's, and it often comes in family. And so this is where a lot of temptation can come from because many saved people don't really follow Christ, but their family's okay with them. And, you know, so the thing is, it's like, you know, how come I'm having problems with my family? Well, again, you know... I, some people, like, I'm, I'm blessed to come from a family of independent fundamental Baptists. You know, I, I'm one of those, if I'm not an independent fundamental Baptist, I'm more likely to get persecution from my family. That's kind of a nice situation to be in. You know, not everybody has that. 
And, and you know, not everybody has that privilege, but you got to understand it is easier for some people if they come from a family of Christians, but some people don't. They come from families of other religions, maybe family of atheists and things like that. And it is, it's hard. And so when you're somebody who's suffering for the cause of Christ, where you're seeing this other family, everything's going great for them. You know, you get, you get to looking at that and you get jealous. But folks, you've been called to take up your cross. And, un, and I don't understand, only God knows. But you know what? Some people will have to give their life. Some people will have to sacrifice family relationships. Some people won't. You know what's your job to do? Take up your cross. Our problem is, we want everyone else's cross. I want to take up their cross. Theirs looks easier than mine. But you know what? Maybe they're not being a disciple of Christ. You know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, and maybe they are doing something. You know, you say, well, Pastor Tommy, you know, you're a pastor. You're doing a lot. But, you know, probably not considering all I've been given. So, the, at the end of the day, don't try to take up my cross. As far as you know, I might not even really be carrying my cross. What you need to do is just take up the cross that you've been given, the cross that you've been called to do. You do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Don't worry about how things appear to be going for me. I might look like I might be getting all kinds of great things on this earth, but I might not have much in the kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. You might not have as much here on this earth but you're going to be rewarded big time in the millennial kingdom. At the end of the day, what we've got to learn to do is to take up our cross and not worry about anybody else's cross. But that's what we get tempted to do. Take up your cross. And family is one of the things that often prevents a lot of people from doing what God wants them to do. Another thing you've got to get rid of is your own personal will. Look what it says in Matthew 16 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 10 by the way, is the first time the word cross is even in the Bible. It's talking about taking up your cross. And in Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter did not like the idea of Jesus suffering and being killed. And that seems like a reasonable problem to have. But what Peter does not understand is this is God's will. This is what Jesus needs to do. And Peter's motivation was not a desire to see God's will fulfilled, but his will fulfilled. That's what he's thinking of. And, he, and then Jesus goes on to say, for whosoever will save his life. If you're just trying to save your life, in other words, not just keep yourself alive, but just trying to give your life what you want, you're just trying to make it all about your, fulfilling your desires, if that's what you're seeking to do, you know what? You'll lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That person that says, you know what? Who cares what I want? I'm going to give Jesus whatever he wants. The Bible says they're the one that actually find their life. For what is a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So understand, it's completely normal for you to have your own personal will. We should never put it before God's will. Everybody has their things they like. Some of you might like cars. Some of you might like fishing. You might like hunting. You have hobbies. You might, you might, you might even like money. Okay? But you know what? Don't love those things more than God. Don't, don't sacrifice God's will for those other things. 
Listen, there are some things that there, there's no denying. I like those things, but as long as I don't put them before God, then there's not a problem. And you know what? God, you know, he might give me some of those things, but I, I can't live for those things. They can't be a priority. And so it's okay for us to love certain things as long as we don't love them more than God, like jobs. It's okay for you to have a dream job. It's okay for you to pursue that dream. It's okay for us to make plans for our life, plans that will, we believe will lead to our happiness. But as long as we, are, we understand, God can change those plans at any time. God can, do whatever he, God can do whatever He wants with those things. The key to true happiness is just making God's plan for your life your ultimate desire. If you want to really be happy, Listen, God knows your desires. God knows what you want. God knows the things that you long for. He know, he know, God knows what will make you happy more than you do. There's a lot of things you think will make you happy, and God knows that they won't. So, but many people today, are they have this constant longing for these things of the flesh, and they find themselves in conflict. And it's because God wants you to be a disciple, but your flesh wants you to give your flesh whatever it wants. And understand, God calling on you to be a disciple might mean that you will do some suffering on this earth. But I'm telling you, God always makes it worth it, and He might even, and He'll probably even make it worth it here on this earth. And, and it says in Psalm 37:4, "Delight thyself also in the Lord." You know where you need to find your pleasure, not in things, but in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. When God sees you living to please Him, you know what God's going to want to do? He's going to want to make you happy. And God will give you the things that will actually make you happy. And if it really is the boat, if it really is that newest set of golf clubs, whatever it is that you think is the key to your happiness right now, teenagers, they always have some things that will be like the key to their happiness. If I could just get that latest Xbox, if I could just get you know this pair of shoes, if I could just get this latest you know, phone, then I'll be happy. Isn't that what they always think? You know, and there's always a temporary happiness that comes from that. And, they, and folks, they really think that will bring them happiness. But understand, God knows what will actually make us happy. And He'll give you those things. And so, go, go, make those plans. But make sure God's plan comes first. Proverbs 10.22 uh, says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and He addeth no sorrow with it. There are many people who have succeeded in obtaining all the things that they wanted to obtain. They've succeeded in becoming millionaires. They've succeeded in building nice houses and getting nice possessions. But you know what? They're still miserable. You know why? Because it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich that doesn't come with sorrow. And that's what I want. It says in Psalm 106, verse 13, they soon forget his works. Talking about the children of Israel. And waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their souls. You know, the problem we all have is when we submit to God, the devil who will always send someone your way who is carrying the cross that you would love to carry. That's what he's going to do. Whatever it is you give up for following the Lord, the devil is going to bring somebody in your life, probably on social media. You know, 
I've decided I'm going I'm to sacrifice you know, this vacation so I can do this thing for the Lord. And then you're going to see 45 people sharing pictures of their vacation they took to that place. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. You know what they're doing? They're, you know, and, and you're like, why can't I be carrying that cross? That's what, that's what the devil does. But folks, that's, again, that's their cross. Well, it doesn't seem fair that God called them to carry a cross through Disney World and you know everything that I always wanted to do. But again, you know how many people I've talked to that went to Disney World and it was a miserable experience for them? I've talked to several people like that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it, the things we think are going to make us happy don't make us happy. You know who? You know who is the happiest when you go to Disney World? Disney. All the money that they get from you. Hey, and I'm not against you doing that. Okay, if I ever get my chance, I'll take it. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't have to have that to feel fulfilled. I don't, I don't need to have those things. But Mark 10:21, the last thing we see is possessions. Possessions often will stop us from taking up our cross. Then Jesus, beholding him, talking about a rich man, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. And you know, it's not a sin to have possessions, but it is a sin to let the possessions have you. Without a doubt. And we often get mixed up because God often does bless his servants with material blessings. But unfortunately, when that happens, it causes some people to be motivated by the material blessings to serve. And that's a terrible idea. There are, there's preachers out there that are doing really well financially. They have really nice houses and drive nice cars. And there's a lot of guys out there, they see that. It's like, man, I want to be like that preacher. Not be, but you know what? Maybe that preacher, you know, God's just been very good to him because he has just loved the Lord and he sacrificed things that other people don't even realize. You know, we don't know why God does things the way that he does. You know, some, you know, at the end of the day, if we're going to judge someone's righteousness by material blessings, then Kenneth Copeland's got us all beat, ladies and gentlemen. But that's not how we are supposed to judge things. And, but many people do. And so a lot of bad people sometimes get motivated to go into ministry and things like that. And that's not good. We just can't look at those things. What we have to do is we need to deny all those things. We need to take up our cross and follow him. Salvation is free. But discipleship can cost us everything. It says in Luke fourteen twenty five, And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And we understand when he's talking about hating there, it's not like we use a word where we just hate and despise, but no, we're not. It means to love that. It means to love less. We need to love everything less than we love God. God comes first. That's how it is for a disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he have laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Notice how he said this right after talking about being a disciple. You know what he's telling people? Before you decide to be a disciple, why don't you count the cost? And you know, a lot of people are looking at 
discipleship in the wrong way. A lot of people look at the ministry in the wrong way. They look at it motivated by you know some of the good things that come with it. It is a blessing to be full-time in the ministry. It is, it's a privilege to be able to be a pastor of a church. It's a privilege to be able to stand up and preach the gospel to people and to that be your way of living. It is, it is, a, it is a great privilege. But let me tell you, there's some cost that comes with it too. And there, it, you know, there's been some great costs that came with even getting here. It, I mean, it took me nine years. It's, you know, it's three years this week, been full-time, three years. It took, it took almost nine years before I go full-time. Most people, they're not going to do something for nine years before they can be full-time. Are, are you kidding me? Wait, there's, no, I wanted to get in the ministry because I want the paycheck. I wanted to get in the ministry because, you know, I like, you know, that people respect the pastor. no. Folks, you got it. There's a lot of junk that you got to deal with. There's a lot of times, you know, sometimes ministry is, it's exciting. Sometimes ministry, it is, it, it's, it's exhilarating. And, but you know what, as a pastor too, as somebody who's been in the ministry a long time, it, it, it can be discouraging sometimes because I'm, I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always thinking long-term. It's just, it's just how my mind works. And I think it's how you should be. But, you know, I've been there before when you, you have those big days, you have those exciting days, but, and, and you like seeing that. I like seeing the big groups of people going out soul but sometimes in the back of my mind, maybe I got a little bit of pessimist in me. I'm thinking, man, I'm glad these people are excited now, but are they going to be in it for the long haul? Are these people going to still do this when it's not as exciting? You know, it, 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 when, you're, when you first start going soul it is, it's kind of a new thing. It's, it's an adventure. But you know what? It can get to a point where it turns into work. You know, when you when it comes to any ministry, you know, when any time the church starts something new, when you start a choir, it's exciting. But then sometimes it turns into work. You know, it does. It looks fun watching the choir get up and sing a good song that sounds really well. That's an exciting song. But you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it too. And a lot of people they're signing up for the excitement. They'll sign up for the big days. They'll sign up for the, the high moments. But when it comes to the grueling work that goes into these things, sometimes oh, I didn't sign up for that. Hey, listen, you haven't seen nothing yet. We're not even being persecuted. We're not even resisting the blood in this church. But you know, again, but you know how many people will get bent out of shape? They'll get out of the world. Somebody said something negative about me. Hey, listen. Take up your cross and follow him. Jesus was being spit on and mocked while he was hanging on the cross. You know what? If you've been called to do something, you go do it. But you know what we've got today? Everybody's just looking for greener pastures. Everybody's looking for the easy way. No, being a disciple is not an easy thing. God gives you something to do. You know what you need to do? You need to do it. You need to get busy. And let me tell you, as we enter this time of year, when we look back on the cross of Christ... You know what? Let's remember that there's a cross that we've been called to bear. None of us will ever come close to suffering like Christ did. But you know what? Jesus still wants us to be disciples. He wants us to follow him, even if that means getting hung on a cross. And it might be that way in some other countries today. Who knows how bad it's going to get in our country before it's all said and done with. But we need to be willing to do that. We need to be willing to suffer shame. We need to be willing to bear reproach. And again, I, I, I do. I think a lot of this is American mentality. God has been so good to us in America. 
you know, we ha- there are so many blessings that we have in this country that people just expect everything to be easy. People expect everything to always be exciting. We're always going to be having high days at the church. We're always going to be, everything's always going to be, you know, better than it was the year before. No, you're going to go through some valleys. You're going to go through some challenges. You're going to go through some hard times. Your marriage is going to go, you know, you, 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 everybody has the honeymoon. You know, everybody has a honeymoon, but you know what? You're going to have times when it's not easy. You're going to have times of sickness. And that's why you say the vows in sickness and health. Richer for poor. And from our family, we've been trying to figure out how to do the richer part. We've got the poorer part down, but we, I don't even have to try to keep that part of the vow yet. I'm looking forward to that challenge. <laughs> but it's like, I, I think we, we must have said for poorer for poor. You know, there's been times we've been less poor <laughs> than we were before. But... Hey, but you know what? what? What do we have today in America? In marriages, things get difficult. They go to poorer. What do they do? They give up. Uh, let's, let's try again. It'll be better with the next one. No, it won't. No, it won't. Hey, you signed, when you went, got up and you said, I do, you signed up for richer and poorer, for fatter, for skinnier, whatever. You, you, I know a preacher that puts that in his vows. Yes, I think I ought to say, I think I ought to do that. I don't think, I don't think one of them, you know, spouse is putting on weights ground for divorce. I don't believe, I don't believe that at all. I think that's probably a good thing. Maybe we should add that in there. But either, either way, I don't, I don't know where people are getting this expectation of smooth sailing and everything. My Bible has constant warnings of things you might go through, but Jesus said do it. And let me tell you something, if you do it, if you do it, there's a, pay, there's a payday coming. Jesus said in Matthew 19:28, He said, Verily I say unto you, that, uh, that ye which have followed Me, these are disciples, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of His glory. You know, all saved people are going to be a part of the regeneration. But those who followed Him, those who were disciples, shall inherit, uh, you should, or it says, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, maybe that guy whose cross that you're looking at, who's getting all kinds of blessings, you know, he already has his blessings here on this earth. If you literally have sacrificed all of those things, you're going to get a hundredfold. All these preachers out there that say they would have been millionaires had they not been pastors. Okay, first off, I don't believe them. But if they're telling the truth, man, they're going to be wealthy in the kingdom of God. But the truth is, I, I think I'm better off on this earth doing being in the will of God. I think if I just went after the things of the flesh, I'd probably have less than I do now. That's what I believe. And so I'm just here today to challenge you this time of year as we look back at the cross I want you to think about your cross and what that means. And that means you be a disciple of Christ. You be willing to follow the Lord wherever he leads you. Do whatever he wants you to do. And I promise you, it will be worth it. Aren't we glad Jesus carried his cross? We all have hope today. We all have, we have salvation because he carried his cross. You know, if you'll carry your cross, you'll be able to help other people come to Jesus Christ. We must have disciples. We have to have disciples. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you so much for carrying your cross and being willing to do what had to be done so we could be saved. And Lord, I pray you'll help us as Christians today. 
who are saved, who are secure in our salvation, who know that there's nothing we could ever do to lose our salvation. Lord, I pray you'll help everyone in here to take up their cross, Lord. And whatever, whatever that means for them, I pray that they will do it that they, and that they will be willing and that you'll help them uh, to do great things for your cause. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.